Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. All right, welcome on to a Hollinger and Duncan that is uh, technically challenged uh, since I'm here in New Mexico, but we're going to bring you this show anyway, and we have much to discuss here, and this is my first chance to talk to John and anyone really about the new NBA plan. John wrote a long piece of about that and overall when you first heard john that they're trying to get this done and start on december 22nd what did you think uh i thought it was ambitious for sure uh definitely a shorter turnaround than we had been led to believe really for most of the year uh i had been hearing mlk i'd been hearing maybe even february march and so this is a big reversal by the league but it's one that makes sense if you if you think about it from from a revenue perspective i mean the nba's best window has always been christmas to the end of june that's essentially the thing that ended the lockout in 2011 if you remember yeah was that uh i mean the networks essentially ended that lockout because they were like we we don't want to lose our christmas games or else we're going to hammer you guys and then that's 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 what sort of bashed everyone's head together to get that uh lockout uh over with and so it doesn't shock me that it's coming into play again uh however the issue now is we just finished a season in october and a lot of players and especially prominent players uh who went to the conference finals or the finals i think are going to be a little reluctant to go back to training camp in the beginning of december yeah uh doesn't seem like there's a ton of enthusiasm there based on a report from Shams Charania that uh and Michelle Roberts with her interview saying that the overwhelming majority of players were not interested in this and the league has said well it's going to be a difference of 500 million dollars between starting in terms of revenue so 250 million to the players between starting December 22nd and starting on Martin Luther King Day which is what everyone else thought do you where does yeah. that money actually come from because the tv contracts are locked in right so if they play 72 games they should get paid regardless right is that i mean i realize the league's partners are probably going to put pressure on them to start earlier but in terms of that 500 million dollars where do you think that comes from the delay costing them 500 million there may be language in those contracts that uh re- requires delivery of certain games in certain times I, I i don't know the specifics uh so cer- certainly uh re- regarding christmas especially uh then the other question is i think can they still get in 72 games and get that season completed and turn around for the next season and have the next year's season go october through June. And I think they're trying really hard to get on the calendar next year because they realize that this year is a little bit of a sunk cost. Yeah. Uh, th- 
that makes sense to me. And also, I think another thing that has come up a little bit is the idea of these new TV contracts. And you don't want to be upsetting the network to already. I mean, frankly, the networks kind of took a bath last year, right? Like they still had to pay basically the same amount and they didn't really get what they paid for. Now, there's nothing the league could have done about that, but they got ratings that were, you know, between half and two thirds on average of what they expected for, say, the NBA finals or the conference finals uh, or whatever. And obviously the RSNs uh, got hammered as well uh, on a lot of these. I mean, they, you know, the NBA was able to do things to technically fulfill the contract, but I'm going to lower my volume a little bit uh, to technically fulfill the contract, but they weren't able to really give them what they paid for. And now if you're a network executive, again, seeing this of like, oh, you're just, you're not going to start on Christmas and you could, that's not going to put them yeah. in a position where they're really happy to go ahead and spend billions more dollars on the NBA's next TV contract. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think that I agree. That's a, that's a huge issue. Um, for uh, the for the league and its and its partners, you got to take care of those partners. Uh, my uh, friend of the program, uh, Amin El Hassan, uh, did did uh, tell me the other day. Okay, show me the math on that five hundred million. Like, is that is that a real number or is that? Is that something you're kind of making up? Um, and I, I do wonder if he's sort of implying that that's the scale of the losses they'd be looking at um, over the two-year period and maybe on a future TV negotiation or something, or whether he's really just talking about $500 million next year. Yeah, and I mean, you would think that starting later, yes, part of the reason why they want to go earlier is that the fantasy that COVID might be gone and that you could have fans in the stands in you know February or March has probably been eliminated. But still, you would think there's more chance of getting fans in the later that the season runs. So you'd think some of that revenue could essentially be recouped. Um, well, let me ask you this, John. If you're advising the players right now, the league comes to them with this uh, proposal to start on the 22nd. And yeah, you know, it definitely sucks to have to go back to to work, to truncate the draft and the offseason and all this, you know, but it's been done before. It was done in 2012. It's yeah. been done in uh, 1999. Exactly. What would your advice to them be? I mean, I... To me, the way to play your hand here is to is to sort of say, oh, no, we'd we'd never do that and try to extract as many concessions as you can, knowing in the back of your mind that, yeah, you probably should do that because you're entitled to 50 percent of the revenue in the collective bargaining agreement, basically. It's 51 percent or whatever. But like that, that revenue split between the league and the NBA really joins them and makes them partners and makes them both very interested in maximizing that revenue pie. So if they come to you and and tell you that there's a $500 million shortfall if you don't start at Christmas, I think you say, A, show me the math, but B, I think you really got to listen to that because that's what's in the best interest of your players. And at the end of the day, I mean, they can they can do things to manage themselves through the season, uh, th- through load management. I know th- they don't like that. They're competitors. They want to play every single game. But uh, you have this fiduciary responsibility as a players association to maximize that revenue pie for your players. Yeah, I, I would be interested to see the math on that as well. And 
you know, I, I think there's a concern that this this free agency won't go as well. But I think the important thing to remember is that this is all part of a holistic negotiation, right? There's there are many axes on which sides are going to make concessions or not, and whether intentionally or not, the league has now entered in another axis of contention. But this is something where the league is going to try to be making some demands and perhaps this is now the league could give up on this but then the the players have to acquiesce more on the escrow issue which is like that's the main issue here right like the season starting that's somewhat ancillary i would say but I don't know that this is intentional by the league, but it does seem like they've given themselves another leverage point in theory that either side could play. But the that this is a sideshow to me in the negotiation compared to what percentage of escrow there's really going to be here. Yeah, and there's talk that they'll take forty percent. Uh, for, for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, basically, normally the players put ten percent of their salaries into escrow, which means they don't get it right away. It sort of sits in a pot of money on the side and. The, the that money is there in case there's a shortfall between the projected revenue and the actual revenue, and thus that the players are owed less money under the salary cap provision than than expected. Uh, what they did dur- to bring the league back was raise that portion to I think it was 25 or 30 percent um, uh, in in order to bring the league back uh, the, this summer. And there's been talk that it'll be similar this next season uh, that it'll be 25 or 30 percent, but that the the, the the number you hear is that if they don't start on Christmas, then it needs to go even higher and it could be uh, 40%. And you do that in lieu of uh, taking the salary cap down 40%, which would be basically a wrecking ball to the entire salary structure of the league and have all kinds of unintended consequences. Yeah. And there was a report yesterday that it's actually a reduction of 90 million if they just based it the cap this year on what the revenues were last year that it would be 90 million that's usually the way it's supposed to work uh, although obviously there's going to be plenty of negotiation here there's a clause in the CBA that says if games have to be missed that then you you have the ability to opt out of the CBA completely so but that that is an interesting uh backstop of just you know here's how much revenue they lost here's what it normally would have been but then next year obviously if they lose 40 percent of revenue and let's not forget that the players got paid you know for what 75 percent of the season or so this year and they only had to take yeah. escrow on the last 25 percent or so exactly. of the season yeah so yeah now this upcoming year it's going to be a much harder hit because at least most of the season was finished under normal conditions last year um so what do you think ends up happening here? Uh, it's uh, do, do you think the league's going to get their way that we're going to get December 22nd? I do think they're going to get their way uh, because usually, I mean, I would be surprised if they brought it up this openly at a board of governors meeting uh, with this many specifics, like in terms of even like the number of games and everything and the exact start date. And, and, and then weren't at least, hadn't at least made some progress with that with the Players Association. Uh, so... I, I do think there's going to be an end up what happens, but at the same time, that will only be the case if it happens quickly. Uh, if you go back and remember, Adam Silver said they try they want to give the players eight weeks notice before the season starts. And I mean, even even working backward from that, I mean, training camp needs to start in the beginning of December if you're going to start the season December 22nd. Well, we're at the end of October right now, so like time's a wasting, right? Uh, so I think if this is going to happen this way with December. 
December 22nd. It's got to happen within like the next week or so. They get, they got to get something agreed to. And otherwise, it's just or like it's just going to push back just because there isn't enough time left. Yeah. And I think also they probably should move the draft up a week if they're going to do this now to have free agency start like two days after the draft i mean imagine how difficult that's going to be for podcasters who want to do a mock-off <laughs> season after after Think the draft us. is over but before the uh the off season starts no but but seriously that seems like a very very difficult timeline and i mean what was so surprising about this whole thing as you mentioned in the beginning is just for so long it's been okay we're going to push back we're going to push back that's where all the momentum goes we'll just push the draft back a month like it seemed like hey we got loads of time here yeah just go ahead push the draft back let's have a a whole month where just nothing is happening yeah and now all of a sudden it's rush 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 which i think i I certainly understand why that would be grading on the players at a minimum yeah i think in i mean in retrospect the league is probably kicking itself for selecting november 18th as the draft date when they could just as easily be doing it next week right yeah no that that's definitely true and now i'm sure although, teams will be like, although yeah. I, I will say they did buy themselves time in one respect because a lot of teams were pretty adamant that they want to know what the cap number would be before the draft happened uh because there's some yeah. trades that happened at the draft so so there was that factor yeah, I think I think that's a a good point. Now, I also was just surprised that like, oh yeah, we this audit is ongoing. We don't even know how much they would have lost until uh like two weeks after the season is over. I mean that that to me seems like kind of a failure, right? Like what the idea of like we couldn't negotiate until we saw how much we lost. Like okay, guys, you couldn't have estimated that, and like okay, maybe it's <laughs> right, off by right. by ten or twenty million, <laughs> but like, like there's no reason why this couldn't have been negotiated during the season and maybe and while the season is still going on now maybe you know some of the good players were still actually trying to focus on basketball but uh, I, I, I think really there was also the realization in the last month uh when cases really started going back up that that even that like february march stuff and having fans in the building like that that's really what took that to just like okay that is a total pipe dream not happening and and i think that's what really shifted the league's logic because you didn't really hear anything about this until very recently in terms of a shift back toward christmas do you find yourself when your day is over just sitting down in front of the tv not even really that excited to watch anything you've exhausted all the content that's out there i suggest maybe making better use of your time with masterclass you can learn from the world's best minds anytime anywhere at your own pace a lot of people are super into cooking they have amazing cooking classes alice waters in my current abode of berkeley california Gabriela Camara on Mexican cooking are two of the great ones there. Maybe you want to get more into writing. My wife took Margaret Atwood's class. Really enjoyed that one. Sports, Steph Curry, shooting and ball handling. Serena Williams on tennis. You can tell from some of these names, these are truly masters of their craft. And whether you want to just watch the video lessons or really get into it with the exercises included in every class, it is definitely well worth your time. The way to get started with them and get unlimited access to every masterclass plus 15% off an annual membership, go to masterclass.com slash PER. Easy to remember slash PER because John invented PER. That's masterclass.com slash PR for 15% off Masterclass. Don't forget that slash PR to let them know that you came from us. What's up, sports fans? Matt Peck here, host of Locked On Bulls, and I want to talk to you really quickly about another excellent podcast. Huge Fan is a new Sirius XM original podcast where stars talk sports. Each week, join host LaChina Robinson as she chats with your favorite celebs about childhood sports memories, game day rituals, the most heated rivalries, and more. 
And this new season features huge names like Anthony Ramos from In the Heights and Hamilton, Pat Carney for the Black Keys, Mel C, that's right, a.k.a. Sporty Spice from the Spice Girls, and even actress Michelle Williams talking about her love for our very own Chicago Bulls. Huge Fan is a fresh way to connect with your favorite artists, actors, and personalities about something we all understand, fandom. Huge Fan is now out on Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Um, all right, we got a, a few questions on these topics here. This is a pretty simple one. Uh, AJO3, is that 20 to 30% escrow, which you know it might even be more than that, before or after taxes? That is definitely before yes. taxes. Uh, so the pretty simple answer uh, on that one. Um, Defiant Data asks, so owners can choose to lock out the players and still be better off than playing under the terms of this of the NBPA. I, I'm not sure. I think that would mean what the NBPA is looking for uh, there, which would mean, I guess, you know, a, a much lower escrow. There definitely is a point, I think, at which that's true where the escrow, you know, let's say the escrow remains 10% and the owners still have to pay basically 90% of salaries and they're only getting 60% of the revenue. That's true, but there also are mechanisms where they could claw that money back in future years by just reducing the cap yeah. a ton. Um and but I think that's that's what people don't want, right? Kind of the trade is, okay, we'll we'll keep the cap around where it is so that guys can get salaries that yeah you're gonna have a big escrow taken out of it this year but you know if you're signing a four-year contract this off season that you know you'll actually have a chance to sign a contract for the full value and then when things get back to normal you'll have you know you'll have signed for nine million a year instead of five million a year exactly. so yeah so I, I think that's that's sort of where the tit for tat is there. Um, and also the owners have the ability to just completely opt out of the CBA entirely. And so, I, you know, I don't know that it's technically a lockout if there is no more CBA, but it, there would be a work stoppage. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's obviously the leverage that the owners have. But on the other hand, it really wouldn't play too well to have a work stoppage. No, no. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's far more preferable to play the season and lose a little money rather than have a work stoppage and lose more money and likely lose more money in future seasons too. Uh, so I, I think just for both sides, that would be pretty bad. Um, you really think LeBron is going to play on the 22nd after just finishing the finals as uh last? I, I, I think he'll play on the 22nd. Yes, because that will be a nationally televised game. Whether he plays <laughs> again on the 23rd, I think is highly unlikely. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, and, I, I think yeah. I think for a lot of those guys, especially with teams like the Lakers that know they're going to make the playoffs and are, are basically, you know, focused on the end of the race and not the beginning. Yeah, you're going to see a lot of load management from those teams this year. There's going to be a lot of back to backs uh, to do, to execute a 72 game schedule in the time frame they're talking about. Uh, there's probably not going to be as much travel, uh, probably be more two and three game series, even uh, something they're talking about. But uh, definitely a high concentration of games. And so you're going to see load management definitely with with these star players and the guys who the teams who went deeper into the playoffs are probably going to do it more i mean i i hate to say it 
I think this season is really going to suck. I mean, I think there's just no two no two ways about it. Like, and and I'm disappointed in that. Uh, you know, I mean, the thing about okay, teams are going to like. I get it. You have to get these games in. Teams are going to come into a city and they're going to you know it's going to be Warriors Lakers again. You know, three nights in a row or something like that, or you know, three games in a row. I think that's a good idea for coronavirus uh, protection to be sure and reducing travel and stuff and not you know. So at least then if you get a positive test on the Warriors and the guy played on a Monday, then it's only the Warriors and the Lakers who are going to get taken out of circulation while uh, yeah. the contact tracing occurs and the additional testing occurs. Whereas if you're bouncing around to six teams on the East Coast, then all those teams are going to have to quarantine, right? So that's why you're doing it that way. But between all the games crammed in this much and just teams playing each other back to back to back like this, I, I do think, and all the load management, I think it's going to be uh, not the type of regular season we're used to following, I guess we'll put it that way. It's going to be a lot of games, though. <laughs> yeah, and be a well, lot of that's, games every night, so that'll be nice. Well, I mean, it's, see, I don't think that is nice. Like, I want to just, I, I think it's better to be able to focus in on a few games and not feel, because this is what I always, my contention has always been about the NBA regular season. It's like, when something amazing happens, it's like, okay, well, there's 12 games the next night. You know, you can't digest yeah. it. It doesn't, it, it, you know, there's, it's not appointment viewing. It's like, okay, you know, on a night when I have time to watch a game, I will, but there's no game where it's like, oh my God, I got to watch this game because there's just going to be plenty more games. You know, it's not like football. And, and so my disappointment is, and granted, they're doing this due to the letter of the law and the TV contracts. So trying to maximize the revenue. My disappointment is that they're not using this as a chance to really try out what it would be like to have fewer games and to come to the TV partners and say, hey, look, we're all screwed here. Why don't we just use this opportunity as a chance to just see TV networks, whether we get high enough ratings from fewer games that mm -hmm. it's still worth it for you to pay the same amount. Like, and you know, that would take the TV network saying yes to that, right? Like they're the RSNs are like, Hey, we paid for 70 games, give us 70 games. And you know, they're really struggling from a financial standpoint too. So nobody wants to take any risks at this point, but this is the perfect opportunity to me. If you have some vision to be like, all right, look, we're going to lose a ton of money anyway. NBA will still pay you, uh, pretty close to what we were going to reduce your number of games let's just see what happens here and maybe we could all do better because the ratings will be higher than expected if we had fewer games but it, that's not going to happen obviously you know what they can do because they uh if, if they don't have fans anyway um they should think about flooding the zone on weekends in other words right now on a saturday basically every game starts at seven o'clock i mean just just have a you know games at, at one three five seven and nine right like why not yeah, for the international audience as well, you could do that. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, the, the staggering would really help you get more eyeballs overseas. Yeah. Um, okay, let's uh, let's hit another couple of questions here. Um, a couple of questions here from the push, uh, among others, about wanting to be done by the time the Olympics start. General commentary on how much the players really care about that and just whether that really should be a major consideration. I think the players care somewhat and the league cares not really at all. Um, I think the league cares in the sense that they don't want to be going, they don't want to have the NBA finals going head to head with the Olympics, certainly. Um, yeah, well, and the having, TV partners really don't. 
Yeah, having NBA players playing in the Olympics, I think they're pretty lukewarm on. If uh, you know, this isn't Barcelona in '92 anymore with the Dream Team, so uh, I, I I don't think that part really matters to them so much. I do think there is a subset of players that really care about this and would like to be able to play for their countries, uh, not just American players, but uh, some of the overseas players, some of the Canadian players too. And so uh, th- that's a it's a it's a minor point at the end of the day, though. And it, it seems like the far bigger objective from the NBA's perspective is to just not have the finals like going into summer where the ratings get lower. And I think they've really realized that they don't want to go past the 4th of July. Yeah, I I think that's maybe a little overblown. Like, oh, we've learned our lesson. Like, it was just such a fucked up situation this year with going yeah. against all these other sports as well. And just generally, I mean, some of the survey data indicating that just generally people aren't watching sports very much at all and that you know just not having fans as well is just a very weird for people i mean certainly tv viewership is down in july and august as people with families in particular go on vacation a lot you know kids aren't in school etc um so I, I I think there's that's definitely a big element. I'm a little wary of drawing massive conclusions about what works and doesn't work based on this 2020 experience, but it seems like that's what's been done. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, like to use baseball for an example, I mean, you had the Dodgers in the World Series and still had, and it was played at its regular time and you still had horrible ratings for that too. I mean, there's just so much sports saturation the last couple months because every sport was playing. Uh, I, th- I think that really cut into every everybody's ratings yeah and obviously they want to avoid going up against football in the fall to be sure um libertine 30 asks uh how much can the tv contracts themselves be negotiated uh can't they choose to broadcast more games given that there are now less sports and new standard programming on generally um yeah i don't know do, do you know anything about that i i obviously have never seen one of these contracts but yeah i mean they could theoretically tweak those deals but uh that i mean the espn games they already have a pretty decent size inventory i mean they have wednesday nights and friday nights and uh, i think it's like two games on on both those nights uh so uh, given the volume of college basketball. Now, if they were to lose college basketball, I think ESPN would be pretty interested in like, hey, can we get more games? Uh, yeah. But as long as college basketball is playing, I, d- I don't really see that being a factor. And then I think TNT is sort of more like the, the boutique hotel, right? So like they, you know, they get their two games on Thursday and they make a big deal out of them and, th- and that's what works. Yeah, and they've they've got some on Tuesday now. I mean, basically every day of the week except Mondays, uh, you've you've got some national NBA games. It, it seems like at times. I mean, even like ABC on Saturdays, they'll have some Sunday games too. Yeah. Um, but uh, on the general idea of modifying the TV contracts, that's really a Pandora's box for the league because you know when either with lockouts or hey, this global pandemic that just happened you don't want to establish a precedent that those tv contracts can be modified and like yeah hey we'll throw you a bone and give you some more games okay like something mild like that maybe you could do but i think you that's like the golden goose i mean those tv contracts are the only reason the league is even still functioning right now and so to put the onus on your tv partners to still pay you and eliminate risk that way whether due to lockout or coronavirus or ratings going down or whatever like you really if you're a sports you don't want to mess with that model in my opinion yeah i agree over the last week or so my wife and i have been taking a short road trip around the western u.s 
shorten our parlance is, you know, about 4,000 miles or so. But listeners uh, can be very happy that in the course of our travels, I have found many further metaphors for what traditional protein bars taste like. We went to Great Sand Dunes National Monument in Colorado yesterday, and it reminded me of those wayward days before I was introduced to Built Bar, when I would dread eating a protein bar because I knew it was going to taste like a geographical feature rather than actual food. Now, though, I look forward to eating Built Bars, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry bar, sia, apple almond crisp. Those are some of their new flavors. They've got raspberry, German chocolate, peanut butter among their old flavors, both nut and nut-free flavors. The bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, great for a keto diet. Take, for example, peanut butter, 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, 5 grams of net carbs. And you can even get a free cooler with purchase while supplies last. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. That's the name of this network, LOCKEDON, for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. With recent events, the traditional bricks and mortar auto parts store is even sorrier than it used to be. Who really needs to go to that store, look for their part on the floor where it's clearly not going to be, and then go up to the counter and have the exchange of, hey, what'd you say you had again? Uh, 12 Accord? No, no, let's say 12 Camry. All right, well, I'll look up some parts for your 12 Accord. Yeah, it's going to take us two weeks to get that. You could come pick it up then. Don't you wish you'd just gone to rockauto.com? Instead, they've been serving do-it-yourselfers online for 20 years now as a family business. You can shop for auto and body parts for hundreds of manufacturers. Just enter your make, model, and year. Their interface won't forget what you entered. Their prices are always reliably low. And the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. So when you go to rockauto.com, make sure you write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right, let's move on here to another of our favorite topics. Daryl Morey is now the general <laughs> manager, or I guess president of basketball operations, title inflation, uh, mm-hmm. in Philadelphia. I mean, take it away, man. What is this a surprise to you? Like, what does it mean? Let's go. It is. A, the timing is a surprise to me. I actually did think he would probably take a year off, but I can understand why this was an alluring position because, um, you know, they already have the pieces there in terms of Embiid and Simmons. Um they already have the coach, which probably isn't a great thing. I wrote about this for The Athletic that, you know, you typically don't hire the coach before the GM. Uh, but in this case, I mean, Doc Rivers would have been on the short list for this position anyway. And they did work together in Boston. Uh, so you, you feel like that there's a, there's a little more hope for that situation. Uh Really interesting because it's such an abrupt left turn for uh, for the Sixers. I mean, it's the same ownership group that that booted out Sam Hinkie uh, to bring in the the Colangelos, and then uh, you know as recently as a couple of weeks ago, you had Elton Brand saying that, oh yeah, well we made these you know mistakes because of the analytics, and you know we have to get more basketball people in here, and the, we're going to be making changes that way, and then and then they hire Maury over uh, over Brand, who's like obviously the complete turn back to the opposite direction uh spinning this positive you hope that the ownership group learned their lesson from pushing hinky out and you know hinky was maury's protege in houston ironically enough and and so i've gone back in that direction uh the negative way to spin it would be that they are just careening from one thing to another and can't make up their minds. But uh, I think 
Maury doesn't take a job like this unless he has uh, a promise of considerable power and, and control over what's happening there. So that would be my expectation. It's a little weird because the um, he doesn't really have any of his people there at the moment. Like they, they have Brand there. They just hired Peter uh, Dinwiddie. They just hired Prosper Canagua from uh, uh, from Orlando. From Orlando. Um, so a little bit of an odd situation, but you know it's it's never perfectly clean, right? It's a, it's always a little a little messy when you come into a new situation. I think this one, having Embiid and Simmons there, makes it a really attractive job. Now the thing people are wondering is the way they played in Houston. Are they going to be able to? Is is he going to try to rebuild the team in that image? But my argument is that that Houston team was as much about the peculiarities of James Harden and what worked with James Harden as about any narrow mantra that they had to play this certain way in in uh, Houston. Uh, I, I do think Maury's going to try to get more ball handling and shooting on that team, but literally any person who got that job would have done the same thing. So where I think he can add the most value, and, I, and I'll echo what you said about, you know, the yo-yoing back and forth and, you know, the past is the past. I mean, if Daryl Morey came available, like the simple question is, would you rather have Daryl Morey or Elton Brand running your basketball operations? I know what the answer to that is. And if they're willing to pay up for him, which I'm sure uh, he drove a, a good bargain on that one, then more power to him. And he has the relationship with Doc Rivers. So yeah, I mean, maybe there'll be some growing pains, but there's just about no one I'd rather have in the Sixers situation than Gerald Morey. And well, many have focused on, okay, the analytics, shooting threes, blah, 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 you know, and somebody, maybe someone can reach Ben Simmons uh, about that. I mean, for me, it's never been as much about the threes for Simmons as his ability to just create one-on-one -on -one offense off the dribble a little bit better and set up threes for other people. But mm -hmm. what I prize about Daryl Morey much more than the analytics and the threes and all that is he leaves absolutely no stone unturned. You talked about this in your piece, and this is a Philadelphia team that to make trades to balance their roster, they need to uh, turn over a lot of stones. Yeah, yeah. They got to be pretty aggressive about finding edges at the margins uh, this season, especially because I don't like there's no magic bullet where you just suddenly get rid of Al Horford's contract or Tobias Harris's contract. Like you're 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 stuck with those probably. So they're going to have to really build up their asset base at the margins and try to try to find some undervalued players and and uh, make progress that way. Yeah, and I, I mean, maybe there are teams who actually would still value Al Horford, or maybe there's a, a way to package Horford or Harris and just get guys who aren't power forwards but are similarly overpaid, for example. But, I mean, we had a question in here about, you know, who are the GMs that teams kind of pick on at this point and you just you got to find someone like that at, at yeah. some point well he's, he's you know? got to be bummed that his uh uh his uh former assistant gm in houston monty mcnair is running the kings now instead of uh instead of the vlade show because i'm sure that would have been his first call otherwise so uh, getting a lot of questions in the chat here about trading ben simmons or joel Embiid. what are your thoughts uh, does this maury move make that more or less likely i think you play out this season with Embiid, simmons doc and try to opt is optimizing the roster as much you can around those two guys and i think like if i'm if i'm daryl coming into that situation i want to really get behind the curtain and see with my own two eyes how that pairing works this coming season with with a different coach maybe with some 
more better fitting personnel if you can swing some deals around the margins. And b- before I jump into the idea of trading a young all-star, because the whole the whole mindset of, of how uh, Daryl in particular has operated has been to get that young all-star. I mean, move lots of stuff to to get, even when it didn't work, to, to get Harden or to get Dwight Howard in, in Houston or to get Chris Paul. Um, so I don't think he's going to turn around and just like ship one of those guys out for 75 cents on the dollar. I have a hard time seeing that happening. Yeah, and particularly, and you still, if you haven't beaten Simmons on your team, even with some overpaid contributors around them, I mean, you still have a 50-win team for the next four or five years, right? Like that's that's not nothing uh, to just that you want to just punt away on to maybe get a 55-win team for two years, and then you know, say you traded for Chris Paul, and then he's done. That yeah, that type exactly. of thing. So um, exactly. Yeah, and I think you still have to hope that those players can evolve. I think one of the things that we talked about with Doc Rivers hiring is the easiest way for the Sixers to improve is just Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons getting better right now. And maybe Doc Rivers can help that. He has the gravitas maybe to tell those players that yes you have changes that you need to make and bead you have to get into better shape but ben simmons you need to develop a, a more varied offensive game and so i, I think you, you definitely try to make the changes around the margins first and maybe daryl will find out that these contracts are totally toxic you know maybe he's willing to give up a first round pick to move al horford something along those lines uh and i wouldn't expect major changes until probably the trade deadline uh especially as he's just trying to even work with this new staff all of whom are new basically themselves as well yeah yeah i i I would i would agree with that i mean you know if something really advantageous comes up they'll jump but i would anticipate certainly the same core five players will probably be there on opening day um let's see here Oh, yes, of course. This one. Simmons for Harden next year. So I guess we'll say this is the 2021 offseason. Simmons for Harden. Who says no? Uh... I think that's that's probably one where the Sixers don't do it for the reasons you mentioned. Like they're giving up uh, several years, yeah. and then Harden's pretty close to free agency. I mean, Simmons is about to start a five-year deal, uh, so you you know you have him locked down. And Harden, I mean, one of the things with him is that the clock is starting to tick on uh, when he's going to be eligible for free agency. So I'd be I'd be leery of trading trading for him. Uh, even even if he could help my short term, if I already know I'm a good team, and the, like the only reason for me to do that is if I think Joel Embiid is such a time bomb physically that I have to win everything I can within the next two years. But otherwise, I wouldn't do that deal. Yeah, and it did seem like maybe some of their moves over the last couple of years might have been organized around that principle of uh, Embiid really uh, potentially not lasting as long as you would expect a, a lot of players to. I honestly, I've followed this for a long time. A lot of people don't agree with me. I think that as he stands right now, Ben Simmons is one of the most overrated players in the NBA. Like for him to be have made an All NBA team this year, that I think that that's he's just so hard to fit around. You know, I don't in the half court. I think he's just it's hard to make him the engine of your offense. He screws up everything you're trying to do with his lack of off ball gravity. Yeah, he's definitely a very very good defensive player although I don't have him quite as elite as some other people do but I I mean I think I would be very interested in Simmons for Harden because I'm not even sure that like from Houston's standpoint let's say you're trying to rebuild what good does getting Ben Simmons do for you with 
three years left i guess it would be four years left on his contract but you know making a a fair amount are you ready to win aren't aren't you trying to rebuild in 22 and 23 when you actually have your draft picks during that time like i don't know what ben simmons and some guys really gets you as houston if you're trying to get back to a championship level at some point yeah it's going to be interesting because i mean they're going to be able to drive a hard bargain on on harden when they inevitably are forced to trade him uh so uh the and and you do wonder if they could do better than simmons no the the deal that's interesting to me actually is simmons for bradley beal because beal is uh in a younger category and so you could you you have more of an argument that you're still you're you're still not going going all in on the present right he's still young enough to be kind of that long-term piece for eight nine years or whatever uh presuming he resigns there but he's still got a you know you still got a couple years you could get him to pick up the option as part of a trade uh on, on that last year on his deal right now like that that that's one to me that is more worth watching well and i think also that uh ben simmons and a bunch of guys can get the wizards right to the 38 wins that they really want to be at for the next few years <laughs> Goal as well achieved. <laughs> Uh, we got some fake trades here in the chat. Let's uh, let's oh, hit a few of these the here. Oh yeah, uh, Horford for Terry Rozier was suggested by Bubowski. Um, and if that were the general construction, how much more would the Hornets need to complete that? Boy, I. I have trouble getting it. Like, I, I don't think Rozier is that good or is, I don't think his contract is that desirable, but I have trouble getting excited about trading him for an older center, I guess, if I'm, if I'm Charlotte, given where they are in the in the timeline. Um, like, I, I guess my mentality, if I'm Charlotte, is almost which contract is more tradable, Rozier's or Horford's? Um yeah, I don't. I don't know if I'm excited about that. If I'm, if I'm Charlotte, I could. I mean, I could see why that would be somewhat interesting for the Sixers. Like I said, I don't think Rozier is great, but he does give him another ball handler. It lets you convert Horford's deal into something a little less expensive and lower that tax hit too. Uh, I have a hard time getting on board with that if I'm Charlotte. Your hope if you're Philly is, yeah, I realize that Al Horford's contract is toxic, but how about we at least get someone who's going to help us if we're going to throw in the assets to get rid of him team that doesn't really have anything going on give us something back and so I, I like the general conception of this idea of charlotte you know fine what are they getting with terry rosier right uh so we might as well move him he's not like a huge part of their future i don't think he's been supplanted yeah. by Devonte graham but i think for philly and maybe you know rosier could be moved again maybe that's part of it but if i'm going to give up those assets to move horford i'd like to get someone just a little bit more dynamic than terry rosier maybe that's not possible maybe that is the best that you can do but i'd i'd be trying for better if if i could if i'm gonna throw in a first round draft pick or two to move this massive horford contract well that's the other thing yeah is it actually is it actually worth giving up giving up draft equity to to move off that contract unless unless it really i mean unless it really makes your present significantly better i'm I'm, I'm just not sure it does yeah i mean and this isn't necessarily the guy because i don't think that utah would want to do this uh, but you know, maybe you would want to get Mike Conley for that for that package instead of Terry Rozier. Like Conley actually could be your primary pick and roll threat potentially. Whereas I don't think you you, you would need someone who at least can be the guy yeah. that you can put the ball in his hands towards the end of the game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I don't I don't see Utah doing something like that unless they know something about Rudy Gobert that we don't. But yeah, that's that that certainly that type of player would be would be more a more appropriate target. 
David Harrison here, the Locked on Washington football team podcast, celebrating with you a 21 grain salute to a less boring sandwich. Thanks to Dave's killer bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings, not the crust. And when I eat a sandwich, it's for what's inside the bread, not for the bread. But when I throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds, thin sliced bread from Dave's Killer Bread, it is the epitome of addition by subtraction. That thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich, but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste, killer texture, killer nutrition, a subtle sweetness, and a seed coated crust. Dave's Killer Bread is America's number one organic bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store um you want to pick a couple questions out here yeah um let's see here <laughs> uh dishpan7 wants to know turner and depot for hayward and Cantor. please discuss uh a lot of people trying to talk about uh gordon hayward indiana trades involving victor oladipo uh which i guess the idea is that hayward would be likely to re-sign in indiana um given his his roots there played at butler and whatnot um and that oladipo is probably going to be on his way out after this season uh 14 million dollar salary difference i believe so that you, you got to navigate that um you, you're yeah, well, this this uh, they threw Turner in as well to the trade, right? It's Turner, Turner and Oladipo for Cancer and Hayward. So that's and pretty Hayward, close, right? That's a little bit like a Celtics fantasy trade. Um, <laughs> I, I don't see that happening at all. Um, but I mean, the perception is, I think that Oladipo might have a little more value than Hayward, and then his contract is is a better deal for this coming year. If you're Boston, certainly you want to move. Moving from 35 million to 21 million really helps you. If you're Boston, I believe if Doug McDermott was added to that deal, you could do Oladipo and McDermott for Hayward, uh, and it, and and it just falls into 125 uh, percent. And then Boston has those three first round picks, so that would probably be the inducement, right? Like. We you know they have 14 26 and 30 between that they could probably haggle with indiana and figure out uh something that made sense so i it's it's interesting to me like i i, I definitely feel like maybe there's there's something there because i do think oladipo in indiana has maybe run its course i just wonder like in in boston when you already have smart and and walker and you had all like that's a yeah they're a small team uh so that's the only thing i wonder about a little bit but i like some of the other elements of that I mean, you kind of bring the Celtics uh, potentially their full mid-level exception back into play with this deal. McDermott could actually like give them a somewhat more legitimate bench player than they've had at the three and four the last couple of years. So th- there are elements of that that I like. It's it's definitely an interesting trade to look at. Uh, I don't know. That's uh, that that's that's a fun one. Yeah, if I were the Celtics, I'd prioritize Turner over Oladipo for the reasons that you said. Yeah. Where just smart. I mean, smart is kind of a three, but still, I mean, he's you'd like to have you know walker oladipo and smart as your one two and three i mean that's kind of that's kind of tough and then also i guess you're bringing smart off the bench again also you said you know that oladipo might have more money than hayward and he or, or more value than hayward and he is younger but i think hayward is a better bet to be a superior player to oladipo this upcoming season even if he does is going to be making more and even if you know he'll he's perhaps more likely to leave in free agency whereas uh you know oladipo i think maybe you'd have a little bit better chance of extending him in theory but yeah i think i would i wouldn't want to swap 
Hayward for Oladipo straight up. I mean, this is theoretically, Boston's theoretically one of the favorites in the East this year. I think Oladipo makes them worse. Yeah, yeah. Would you, I mean, if it's like Hayward and Tice and maybe 14 and 30 for Depot and Turner? Hayward and Tice, 14 and 30 for Depot and Turner. Yeah, I just, I don't see, like Boston can't afford to re-sign both Oladipo and Turner. Well, so I, I just, I, yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, Turner's on the 18 million. So yeah, that re-signing re, re any of those guys is tough. You're right. Whether it's Oladipo or or Hayward, re-signing either of them is really hard when you have Jason Tatum hitting a super max and Brown on his deal and Kemba still on his max. Uh, so yeah, it the, the finances get really tricky. Yeah. Now, I mean, if I if I can trade Gordon Hayward as a long term piece into Miles Turner, and then maybe Smart could get moved. You know, if you feel like your defense is still going to be good enough as well, and you could get draft picks for Smart and just continue to bring in some cheap contributors around Turner, Brown, and Tatum, and then you know Walker might be part of that. Maybe he would end up kind of falling out of that as he gets older. But and the Celtics have a lot of options, but their tax concerns also are uh, quite concerning. Uh, you want to hit tax, another question here? Tax and a roster crunch. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you want to hit another question here? Yeah, here's an interesting one. Uh, Bnoah1216 asks, CP3 back to the Clippers for sign-and-trade Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams, Patrick Beverly, and Shamit. Uh, I think Montrez would have to get quite a sign-and-trade to make that work. But th th I believe there are ways to make a CP3 trade with the Clippers actually work. That's a really interesting concept. Uh, the Clippers, I mean, it, they did show they need a point guard, I think, in that playoff series with Denver. Uh, I think they're a win now team. Uh, Chris Paul is certainly a, a win-now player. I mean, that's what you're acquiring him for. And some of these other guys that you talk about in this trade, I mean, we're exposed in the playoffs, right? Um, so... That, that's an interesting one that I hadn't thought about. Like my favorite Chris Paul trade had been to Phoenix for uh, Rubio, Oubre. Yeah, Ty yeah, Jerome, we talked about that last and, week. Uh, yeah. uh, Jalen LeCue. And, uh, but to the Clippers, I hadn't really thought about. But yeah, you, you could get there. Um, with, with the contracts, it would be it would be tricky, but you, you definitely could pull it off. Uh, I just wonder if that's the best deal for Oak City if they have to lock into an expensive sign and trade uh, in order to pull it off. Yeah, I, I'm a little lower on the idea that the Clippers need a point guard, at least as their first thing that they need. You know, that's not like the lowest hanging fruit to improve uh, with them, I think. And I, I also have cautioned about like, do you really want to upset the apple cart too much for a team that was looking really good until all the crazy COVID stuff happened? Um, I mean, they got Patrick Beverly because he's theoretically the best guy next to uh, Kawhi and Paul George. He, he can shoot the ball off the ball and he defends really well. Like that, he was supposed to be the really good fit. You know, do you, if you're going to have Leonard and George, you really need Chris Paul out there running pick and roll on every possession. I, I think if you're going to focus your resources in one area, it might be getting a little more shooting, getting a little bit better defensively as well. So uh, getting another guy who can really knock down shots if Shamit, if they're going to decide that Shamit is unplayable defensively. I mean, certainly if they're, you would look into that, I think, as the Clippers. Uh, let's see here. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's move on to our ne next segment. Okay. We played this game during the season last year where we decided we were going to rule teams out 
of the playoffs. And hilariously, as it turned out, you and I were both perfect with this. It took, I mean, now we might've gotten it anyway, because you and I both ruled out Memphis among like, you know, back in like December or something like that. Uh, I ruled them out shortly before you did, but uh, we both ended up perfect because Portland beat Memphis uh, in the playing game. So uh, now buoyed by our incredible performance last year, (laughs) we're going to start even earlier. Although, you know, if this were a normal season, we actually probably would be starting this right about now. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Let's uh, before the draft, before free agency, before anything. I mean, now this isn't going to be our official standings, but I just, I wanted to just go through and say, all right, who are the teams that really don't have a chance in our opinion of making the playoffs next year? You know, obviously this is projecting what's going to happen in free agency and the draft. Mm -hmm. Give me your number one team that will not make the playoffs next year. Cleveland was, it was close between them and Charlotte, but uh, you know, Charlotte's got a higher draft pick this year. So I guess there's more hope that a rookie could come in and, you know, sort of surprise the world and energize them, I guess. Uh, Charlotte has more cap room too to, to improve the team. So I'm going to go with Cleveland. I, they're so bad defensively. I don't see how they get better with that Love Drummond combo. Uh, their guards, they've invested, you know, high lottery picks in Sexton and Garland. Uh, they were both really bad last year. And I, you know, I, I think they're going to keep playing them uh, and feeding them minutes for another year. And, you know, we'll see if they get any better. But yeah, I, I think it's going to be really hard, even in the East, for Cleveland to make the playoffs. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, they were both pretty much neck and neck. Uh, Charlotte was like one of the luckiest teams in basketball last year. I think they won four or five games more than expected based on their point differential, despite being, you know, whatever they were, a 28-win team or something. But I agree with you. Cleveland punted on their cap space to get Andre Drummond. Charlotte at least has cap space. Who knows what they'll do with it? Uh, and then they've got the number three pick, and maybe you know they get someone who could help them, or maybe they just get completely crazy and trade that pick for more veteran help. I don't see them doing that, but that's yeah. at least if we're talking about crazy possibilities. I, yeah, I think yeah, they're both yeah. they're both pretty darn good bets, though. We'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. Now, now there was reports from. Brian Winor saying that Cleveland is going to try to get better next year, but I just don't know how they. I think they're can. impatient. I just don't think they have the capability to improve the team right now. You know, they like let's say they say, okay, we're really serious about getting better this year. What are you going to do? You're going to sign somebody with your mid level and do what else? Like they, they're up against the tax line. They have bad contracts. Nobody wants. Like, what, what could they even do if they were in quote-unquote win-now mode? What could they even do to expedite that? They could, I mean, they could trade the, what do they have, the fifth pick in the draft? They could trade that, I guess, but uh, that, that would almost be org- organizational malpractice, right? Yeah, and I have no idea how they get better defensively. I mean, maybe like your guy, J.B. Bickerstaff, gets Andre Drummond to play like the best defensive basketball of his career, but you still got those two guards who are going to struggle. You still got no one who can defend him. Maybe they could get, you know, they'd sign like Jay Crowder or something. Someone just who would give them even a facsimile of defense on the wing and Drummond plays mm-hmm. better. And maybe yeah. maybe they could get a little bit better defensively and, you know, they get a little lucky and the bottom of the East sucks again. But yeah, it's uh, so I, I definitely think Cleveland and Charlotte are kind of in their own tier there. Um, so Charlotte would have been my pick here. I'll, I'll give you your ne- the next selection. Okay. Uh, so, so wait, so Cleveland and Charlotte are now off the board. Is that what we're saying? Correct. 
All right, and now we got to pick somebody else. Okay, all right. So it's interesting because I think the West is going to be a total minefield, but I, I'm having trouble coming up with like that one team that that I could definitely rule out. Uh, my instinct is to say Oklahoma City because I think they'll trade Chris Paul. But the fact is that if they don't trade Chris Paul, then they might make the playoffs again, right? So so I'd be re- reluctant to nominate them. Uh you know, you look at even like Minnesota, I mean, you still have an awesome player to build around in Carl Towns. I don't think it's completely ridiculous that they'd make it. So it, it almost takes you back back to the East again. And I mean, Chicago is probably a, a team you have to look at for not making it. Uh, but I, I'll go, actually, I'll go with a different team. Though. I'll go with the Knicks. Uh, I just don't think they're going to try to make a big splash somehow. And so that could result in some, you know, it could result in Chris Paul even ending, ending up there or somebody like that because uh, they, they just can't help themselves. But I, I, I still just think even if they try something like that, there's just too many holes on the team uh, and they're just not good enough. So I, I'm going to say the Knicks. It's really hard for me to see how they're going to have any kind of an offense and now I could actually construct a way in which they actually get a lot better defensively this year with the Mitchell Robinson if Tibbs really invests in him and he becomes the new Joakim Noah for Tibbs and yeah you know was it Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins fault that they weren't any good defensively when he was in right. Minnesota or is he kind of lost his fastball as a defensive coach you know, probably a little bit of both. But if you're just trying to say, hey, what is the upside here? Find me a way that this team makes the playoffs. Them getting a lot better defensively. And they actually were better than expected defensively last year, particularly under Mike Miller. So, yeah, but I think you probably would have to go back to the Knicks. And because just like you said, the West, it's so hard. Any of these teams has the potential to make the playoffs. Um, Bulls another are another one where, hey, maybe the coaching was just so bad and the injuries were so bad yeah, that, yeah. you know, I think they would have a reasonable fighting chance. Um, Bulls, Bulls, it's easier for me to see Karnishevis coming in there in his first year and saying, you know, okay, let's kind of reset here. You know, yeah. do we need do we need to resign Chris Dunn? You know, do we need Thaddeus Young? Like moving some things around to set them up for the next few years. So I I, I think because of that, it's a little easier to see them taking that that step backward. Uh, because other, otherwise, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's the East, so anyone could make it, right? Well, but. well, let's let's think about that actually, because your top six are all going to be totally good again next year. You would think, unless they're just yeah. massive injury problems. Like I don't, none of those teams are due for a big drop off to me. Uh, you know, now if Toronto I lost, see Indiana making a small drop off, but not a yeah. big drop off. Yeah, and if and, Toronto lost Fred Van Vliet and neither of the centers came back, then maybe. But they're so well coached; it's hard for me to imagine them not being a playoff team. And they've got yeah. young guys who can get better. Yeah. Um, and then Brooklyn will be back. You know that you yeah. got to imagine now they could get hit by injuries. But if we're just talking about like, I, I don't think that the floor to get into the playoffs in the East is going to be you know negative thirty eight wins or whatever it was this year, right? Like it's <laughs> it'll be. I, I think that you could see at least you know, get you got to be five hundred to get into the playoffs in the East this year. So that that makes you feel a little bit more comfortable at ruling out some of these lower tier East teams potentially. Um, yeah, I mean that's a good question. Like if you want to say Brooklyn is going to be in there, same top six, then who is your eighth seed who's your eight and it's probably orlando or atlanta yeah washington too 
you know, I mean, John, with John, John Wall potentially back. If John back. Wall comes back, yeah. If they if they luck into Onyeka Okongwu with that ninth pick, I, I could start talking myself into the Wizards a little bit. Yeah. Now, I mean, I, the problem with the Wizards, too, is that with their shitty defense, they have no upside either, right? If you're like, you're going to be a bottom five defense, it's hard to say how you're going to get over 41 wins, right? Like, you're, it, yeah, it's just yeah. the, the math well, just you're, doesn't you're add up. You're counting on John Wall to help as much defensively as offensively, I think. I mean, certainly they got blistered at the point of attack last year. Uh, and then you hope that there's enough help out there for Beal that he has some ability to expend effort on the defensive end. I, I think even calling it the point of attack is like too kind to them. Like there's <laughs> like to, to, the, the implication that there's only one is like being too nice to them, right? <laughs> uh, all right. So, so your pick, who is your pick is the Knicks. I think that's a good one. Um, yeah, so some of the other candidates, I mean, Sacramento and OKC would probably be my two biggest candidates in the West. Mm-hmm. Gallo is going to be gone for sure from OKC, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So there's and, a tax yeah. issue if they bring him back, so it doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, and they were they were lucky to be as good as they were this year. Chris Paul is not going to play all 72 games next year as well. He's not going to be as good as he was last year. And of, there's a very big chance, of course, that they're just going to pivot. So I, I think between OKC, Sacramento, yeah. Detroit... Chicago. Yeah, Detroit's another one. I couldn't pick yeah. them because there's just this lingering fear. They're like, what if Blake Griffin comes back and is good again? Um, but they, they don't have a lot there. Yeah, and they've got salary cap space too. They could sign, yeah. you know, if they wanted to try. You know, if they signed Fred Van Vliet, for example, and then Blake comes yeah. back and... You know, they've been rumored there with the Dwayne Casey, his former coach. So I think I will go with OKC because the more I thought about it, I'm like, yeah, they made it last year, but they need Gallo everything is, to go yeah. right to make it. Yeah, there's no way they bring back Gallo. And then, I mean, it, they would be foolish not to try and trade Schroeder and Steven Adams and Chris Paul. So, and it just seems like all the tea leaves are going that way. It would just have to take them really struggling to find something for Paul to change things up. And we don't even know who their coach is either yet. Yeah, they've been kind of kind of dragging their feet on that. They're the only remaining open coaching spot. And you haven't even heard a lot of uh, smoke from out of there as to as to what direction they might be going. Yeah, they usually keep things uh, pretty, pretty close to the vest, uh, other than when uh, coming up with creative titles for their front office. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, uh, it is it is back to you here. Okay, so I got to pick somebody else. Um, so so the Knicks are off the board and Oklahoma City's off the board? Yep, yeah, we've got four down here. All right, so I'm going to go with the Bulls next. I, I, I just think they, I mean, they have some young players. So yeah, there's a chance they could sneak in. Uh, so I could end up uh, eating crow on this. But I think most of those young players aren't that good. I think some of them are going to become free agents that they're not going to bring back. Uh, you know, new coach, new front office. I think they're just going to take this year as an opportunity to reset. Yeah, I, you know, they were picked to make the playoffs I picked last them to year. get the eight seed last year. Yeah. yeah. And those guys are all still there. Now, some of the role players that they signed last year, like Thad Young, Sadoransky, those guys don't look as good a year later. And you still really wonder how they can get good enough offensively so i i I, that's uh i mean i I definitely feel you on that one i don't know that they would have been my pick necessarily oh i mean some of these west teams like yeah they're trying to win but it's just so hard to imagine them 
making yeah. it through the, this minefield. I yeah, think the, I think the one I really struggled with was like Sacramento. Yeah. Um, because I think with Monty being there, there's you hope there's more of a realization that they shouldn't be all in on breaking the playoff drought this year, um, and that they should they should try to what they really need to do is undo all the mistakes they made last summer with bad contracts and uh, and put themselves in a better position after this year uh, to to win with the team built around Fox and hopefully some other guys that they can bring in. So uh, they're one. And then San Antonio, um, like there's still enough talent for them, though, to be potentially good. But they definitely need to be pointed toward a rebuild. Yeah, as long as Pop is there, though, I think they're going to try to be as good as they can. Yeah. Um, all right. So I have to pick someone. I think I will go with the aforementioned Sacramento Kings. I think it's really, it's not even like if they're in the East, they might actually be close to favored to make yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. They might be the eighth best team in the East. Right. Isn't that scary? But I think there's just too much, like this team just doesn't have enough upside, right? Like, yeah. If you're saying what's the absolute best these guys are going to do, you know, you're probably 500, maybe, you know, 43, 44 wins or yeah, you know, whatever I was gonna that say translates 43 to. And 39. Yeah. 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 In a Which 72 still probably doesn't season. get you in the top eight in next year's West. Yeah. Um, so, all right, that's, that's it. Let's do, uh, so that's uh, six down here. Yeah. Let's do two more. All right. Well, I'm going to take the Detroit Pistons now. Um, I, I I think they're not good. I think they know they're not good. They they might go after Van Vliet just because he's just young enough that it could make some sense. But I still don't think he's good enough to push them into the top eight either, unless Blake Griffin really you know comes back and is the guy from two years ago, which I'm I'm not expecting. Uh, just a lot of holes on that team talent wise. Um, and so I, I think it's a, another year in the malaise for uh, for the Pistons. All right. And I think I will finish this out with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Okay. Right. Um, it's just, I don't know how they're going to defend. I don't think Ryan Saunders is the guy who's going to get them to defend. And, you know, I think Russell is a little bit overrated. I think they could be pretty good defensively, or I'm sorry, offensively. But I think defensively, again, you know, you're a bottom 10 unit. And it's just, there's 500 is not going to cut it to get into the West playoffs this year. I don't think the way it did last year. I so, think, to, you know, between Towns, Russell, and whether it's LaMelo or Edwards is the third guy there. I think this is the year where they kind of figure out how to play with each other. Um, yeah. And now I'm not saying that uh, they can't make it, but if you're forcing me to pick someone. So let me yeah. say, so we've, we've had eight teams here. Which of these teams would you say has a 95% chance or better of not making the playoffs as we sit here right now? Okay. So I would certainly nominate Cleveland and Charlotte for that category. Yeah. Um, probably the Knicks too. It's hard because you know we we still have an off season ahead of us, so things could happen. The Knicks yeah, do have a lot of cap space. They could they could trade for you know a star player into that cap space somehow, and then maybe their outlook improves in, in that Eastern Conference. So um, probably probably I mean I I feel pretty good about Cleveland and Charlotte. Yeah, I think I mean ninety five percent is a big big number. Yeah, I think I I would exactly. yeah I would just have to stick with Cleveland and Charlotte. I, I would say there, and that's uh I mean yeah as you mentioned the Knicks, there's just too many variables for the rest of these teams yeah yeah um all right we got some commentary here uh nba rigged says minnesota doesn't have a chance they only have two stars and the roster is very shallow would you concur yeah i mean they they need to get better at the two three and four they need to know for certain that d'angelo russell is the answer at the one we'll see who they take with the number one overall pick if it's Lamelo ball i mean i think he's the most talented player but it's a interesting player to fit next to russell so they have to work that part out uh malik beasley is facing charges now so you know we'll see how that situation works out for them because the shooting guard 
position could be wide open at, at that point. So yeah, they they have a lot of things to to work on. I think they're probably a team that wins between 30 and 40 games. Well, and having the number one pick in some ways is almost a bad thing for them unless they trade down in terms of their success this year because that guy is going to get reps and he's not going to be good. Yeah, most likely. Yeah, in, in this draft, certainly. You know, it's not going to be like Zion or John Morant here uh, really pushing these things up. Um, you want to take a comment? Yeah, sure. Uh, let's see. Uh, Grant Shirley asks, reports have come out that the Hawks are shopping the sixth pick. Uh, on his latest pod, Sam Bassini, who writes for us at The Athletic, floated around the idea of a trade center out number six for DeJounte Murray. Thoughts for both teams. I don't really see why the Hawks would make that trade. Um, to me, if you're Atlanta, that number six pick is the last chance you will ever... I talked about this actually today in a piece I did with Chris Kirchner, our Hawks writer. That number six pick is the last chance you will realistically ever have to draft a star caliber talent uh, around Trey Young and John Collins because you're going to be better this year you I mean you you're certainly hoping you are after yeah. what happened last well, year well we'll, we'll put then, it this way it's the last chance that Travis Schlenk is ever going to have to draft to draft a, have, a yes. star talent because because if they're not better this year he's it seems like he's yeah. going to be under a lot of pressure and the, and the other aspect is you have all this cap room so the point is to use that cap room to to fill your win now aspirations if you want right go ahead yeah. and overpay for guys at the, at the two and three especially if they're on one and two year deals, it won't matter. Okay. And, and, and that's the way you get better in the short term, but you, you can't just sacrifice this pick to get like half good players. I don't think that makes sense at all. I would rather use that. I mean, even for this year, I maybe would rather use that sixth pick on Tyrese Halliburton than I would on, on trading it for DeJounte Murray. Now, if they tried to trade that pick for Derek White instead, then I might be interested. I like the, the I think the concept of trading it for you know that level of player like a young a young veteran who is still going to be able to help you and fits with Young. Dejounte just doesn't fit with Trey Young at all. That's why I don't yeah, really care. Yeah, it's for a that terrible one. fit. Also, yeah, 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 yeah. But I, no, I've seen I've seen some bad bad Hawks trades floated out there. Uh, I I don't think moving off that six pick makes sense unless there's something pretty juicy coming back. I don't think they need to use it to take bad contracts from other teams. They have all the cap room to do that. So to me, it's even though you make all the calls if you're Atlanta, um, I, I still think at the end of the day, you go ahead and make that pick and then use all your free agent money. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, and, and even then, I'm still, yes, there's pressure to get better this year. I mean, what has it been? Like, two, I guess it's been three bad years for them now. Okay. Uh, still, I, I would caution against this, like, oh, we have to get better this year. Like, let's let's improve they, our long-term future, yeah. however they, that they've is. Ar- so the thing people forget, they've already made the biggest move they possibly could to make themselves better, which is that they replaced the tire fire at the center position they had last year with Clint Capella. Right. Okay. They, they, there is not a move on the board they can make that would move that improve the team more than the Capella trade, which we haven't seen Capella play a game for them yet. But I mean, going from Damian Jones to Clint Capella is you're never going to match that that upgrade uh, with what with anything you do this summer. No, I agree. I mean, and yeah, you can try to get some guys in free agency, but yeah, I would not recommend moving that sixth pick. I mean, unless it's for like Derek White is someone like it better be someone who you feel has some upside, right? Like I think Derek White, yeah. Yeah, maybe he does given how he played in the bubble. Um, okay. Deceptively uh, old, Derek White. Let's see here. Um, is Chicago really that weak with a better coach and better health as uh, Midilon? Uh, 
I mean, yeah. Um, they, you know, the coaching is a, the coaching is a question. I mean, obviously, I, I I think they did have a a bottom five coach certainly a year ago. So so that hurt. Uh, but it, like, where where's the high end talent there, right? Like Zach Levine's he's pretty good. He's not, he's not an all star, right? Um, you know, who else on this team is like who else on this team starts for Boston or starts for Miami, right? Like they no, <laughs> like there's nobody. Uh, I, I mean, the, you know, their best offensive player is like the 50th best offensive player in the league. Yeah, they, they've yeah. been one of the worst offenses in the NBA the last couple of years. And how is that going to change? Is my question. It could I, maybe maybe Carter yeah. and Markinen and Levine if, are all it, way yeah, better, but. Let- Letting Carter actually shoot, I think, would be really helpful uh, for yeah. one thing. And, and Otto um, Porter, too, I think, like you mentioned, the upgrade from Damian Jones to Clint Capella, the upgrade from nothing to Otto Porter, if he's healthy, is a big one. I think particularly on offense, yeah. actually. Yeah, I just, I mean, I don't have a ton of faith, I guess, that he's uh, th- that he's going to be back to what he was. Um, so we'll 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 see with that. Uh, Kobe White, I guess, would be the, your other argument. Uh, he really came on right before the league shut down. Yeah. Uh, and that he could give them some offense off the bench, but still not a lot there. I mean, you know, you're working with your mid-level exception, basically. And I, I, I also, I mean, I, I still think Karnishvis, and I think this is the right, the right play. I mean, he's thinking more about 22, 23, 24 than he is about this year. And I think the moves he makes will probably reflect that. All right, you want to pick one here? Yeah, let's see what we got. Um, yeah, uh, Fluffiest Walrus asks, well, the name like that, I got to take the question. Any chance you guys could talk about the Spurs? No one talks about them if they aren't winning championships every year. Um, and no one talks about them even when they are winning championships. Uh, they're, <laughs> they're, 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 uh, for, for some reason, they just have no, uh, no magnetism whatsoever. I think they're a really interesting team because uh, they do have some good young players now. I like Keldon Johnson a lot. Uh, I think he can be a starting small forward maybe if his, if his shooting holds up. He shot much better in the bubble than he had in his G League season. So we'll have to see if that's a fluke or if that carries over. Uh, but the the Spurs, uh, they're in an interesting spot because LaMarcus and DeRozan are still there um, and still are probably going to play pretty, pretty prominent offensive roles for as long as they're there. Uh, but you can see the next wave coming in here with, uh, you know, with Lonnie Walker, Derek White, Murray, uh, Keldon Johnson. They're going to have the 11th pick this year. Uh, I think the smart move is to see, you know, what can they get for Aldridge, DeRozan, Patty Mills, Rudy Gay, all four of them on expiring deals, all four of them probably still good enough to help a contender in some way. Uh, so if they're still on the team after the trade deadline, I think that's a, that's a disappointment. That's a mistake by San Antonio. And then the other thing is they probably want to move off one of these guys even before the season starts uh, so they have enough wiggle room to re-sign Jakob Pertle. So, yeah, a lot to respond to there. One is... Uh, hey, sign up for Dunktown Prime and you can listen to our Spurs offseason preview where Danny and I did an entire podcast for 30 minutes uh, on the Spurs offseason. Another reason I think people never talk about the Spurs is because they never do anything, right? Like from a transactional standpoint, they are just very conservative in terms of like, making trades. They never made, I mean, what is, they made like one deadline deal for like Nazi Muhammad in 2005 and that was it, right? Yeah, like, and that's pretty much it, yeah. I, I mean, when, when you were working with memphis like what was it like when you would call them with ideas or like would they ever call you or occasionally but it was um it 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 was infrequent um and they were it it, they really didn't want to show any of their cards yeah uh so they they were a hard team to do a trade with 
Yeah, I mean, that's always a, a weird part of it, right? Is it's like to determine whether you have any common ground in a trade, you have to give up something, right? To actually yeah, know if you exactly. can help each other. Um, exactly. So, yeah. So there there were some teams that were really hard to to do that with, and they were definitely one of them, which is, which is fine. I mean, if you're not if you're not looking to make an, in, an in-season trade anyway, then <laughs> then why give up anything, right? Um, but uh, yeah, they, they've always been pretty conservative on that front. The second thing I wanted to mention to you about the Spurs is Danny and I talked a lot about the extension negotiations for Derek White and what a fair contract extension for him would be. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, it's interesting because he's a little older. Um, I actually, I'm trying to find here because I did some work on uh, on extensions. Uh, let me see if I can. Uh, well, here, yeah. While you're looking for that, I'll, I'll say what my conclusion was. Uh, okay. You know, we. Danny was a little bit lower, but my thought is that the guy who played in the bubble, he played like a $20 million a year player. Like I think that was, and he's 26. So you don't want to pay too much on top of what he's been doing already because he's not going to grow as much as, you know, say DeJounte Murray, Uh, you're at least projecting there. But I mean, I think got to be high teens at least. For a four-year deal, uh, I think I think I'd be more comfortable in the teens with him. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't go into the twenties. I do, yeah. I do think I mean that that was uh, probably the best stretch of his career that we saw in the bubble. So it's hard for me to go right all in based on that. Um, yeah, but uh, so the one thing I'll say, if I I, I, would, I would be I would be more probably like fifteen million. Uh, yeah. given that you're paying him the season after this one, and if you go four years, you're getting into his age thirty, age thirty-one, or whatever uh, season. I'd I'd probably be more comfortable around 15 for him yeah it does kick in i mean maybe a three-year deal would make more sense then and you pay a little bit more but yeah because it does kick in when he's 27 already which is uh, a lot but and yes i'm certainly wary of overpaying based on what he did in the bubble but the confidence with which he was shooting the ball and the volume of three-point attempts Plus, you know, he's still a good defensive player. He evolved as a pick and roll player this year. It was really more about just the shots that he was taking even than the fact that he hit a a crazy percentage of them. But yeah. I thought that that was really encouraging. Uh, now, you know, who knows? That could just be the bubble. And we had some crazy offensive performances in, at least in the seeding games, less so in the playoffs. But, uh, you know, the other thing I would say too for San Antonio is you got nothing on your books after this year anyway. So why not just take a chance that you can get him on uh, what you think will be a pretty, a, a decent deal if he hits. And if he doesn't and you overpay him by 4 million, he's a guy who I think has a pretty high floor. So if that's, you overpay that, him by- that's definitely. A- good point yeah you're you're not just doing this like speculatively yeah all right you got another one you want to hit here we got about seven minutes left yeah sure yeah i keep losing the window here um huh any projection that x at sid asks <laughs> any projection thoughts on faults can he move the needle for the magic or contend for most improved players he near his ceiling well i can tell you how he could contend for most improved players if he started raining threes but other than that i think it's probably closer to the other answer which is that he's this is probably about what we're going to get for him. i mean i think we'll we'll see incremental improvement but not monumental improvement right uh can he get to the point where he's like like the 15th best point guard in the league maybe um and uh you know that would probably be a win for orlando at that point uh but i i have trouble seeing stardom uh emerge from this 
What do you think, Nate? Yeah, I mean, is he? He looks like you know, he's going to be like Delon Wright or something, right? Like that kind of seems like his destiny. And I was hopeful that in the bubble, after four months, in theory, of just being able to do nothing but shoot jumpers, that his jumper would be better. And it's you know, it's the same. I mean, okay, maybe yeah. he looks a little more comfortable shoot, but it's still this like low release, way out in front of his face. Like it does, it doesn't. He doesn't look like a guy who's going to be able to shoot three pointers off the dribble unless you know the guy goes under to the dotted line right like it's it's just exactly like, and exactly I, he's not quite as athletic as i hoped he would be coming out of school either but you know the big appeal of him was that he has this jump shot and now you have to go over the screen and he can get into the pick and roll and really cause problems for people and without that it's just hard to see enough of a ceiling and it's been long enough now that i would be extremely surprised if he becomes a plus jump shooter at any point in his career yeah i I would completely agree with that and i mean it's not just the accuracy i mean that because his release point is so low now i mean it requires time and space too so on on both those counts yeah uh this is a good one patrick boyce too which team will look the most dramatically different at the start of the season? This is a fun one. The most dramatically different. Um, you could say the Knicks, maybe. Um, you could say Oklahoma City, certainly. Yeah, I mean that's that's the first one that came to mind for me. Um, because most of these other teams, I think it's speculative where they could look different, but it's sort of contingent on us imagining trades that may or may not happen. Where Oklahoma City, it's more written into the sand already, right? Like there's there's that's going to be a different team. Gallo's going to be gone. CP's probably going to be gone. Uh, we'll see what happens with Schroeder if he's a deadline guy or if he's if he's gone before the season starts. So that that's one you can more count on like yes this team will look different yeah and and different coach already and brooklyn and golden state obviously just with players coming back from injury but in terms of their actual roster yeah i mean that's a a, a, you had a guy who's a sub all-star with gallinari and chris paul made second team all nba and probably both of those guys are good bets to not be on the team anymore and we know that they want to get into rebuilding this is a good draft they're going to want to get a high draft pick this year uh, so that yeah. the, those are the that's the biggest one that comes to mind I, and i like your one of the knicks too that's probably the other one um maybe you could say new orleans if drew holiday were to get moved yeah exactly i mean they, they could end up making a lot of changes between holiday and reddick um and there's a coaching change there too but they, we're really getting into like the speculative guys now well, there's also whatever team Chris Paul gets traded to. Yeah, so, but we already said the Knicks. <laughs> well, so, Bucks, Philly. Yeah, this is, this is a good thing to end on here. We've got three minutes here. Give me your top five Chris Paul top five most likely chris paul destination top five chris paul destinations i'll, right. I'll throw some out here for you you mentioned phoenix Knicks, yeah. bucks sixers lakers clippers Knicks, phoenix yeah i think that's right yeah i would put this clippers sixth and those other five teams ahead yeah yeah i that's that's probably how i would see it and so, uh, who who I, is the one team you would say he's most likely to end up on? Who, who, I've been who, talking myself into Phoenix. They're so desperate to end that that uh, playoff schneid. They know they have a pretty good team right now. Um, I that's one I've really started wondering about. Yeah, I mean, is there any indication though that they would actually want to do that, other than just our brains thinking it makes sense? Oh no. <laughs> 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 but I mean, is there for Milwaukee or is there for Philadelphia? No, I mean we're just you know yeah we're, well, we're coming up with ideas here. I, I mean, 
with uh, Eric Name, I think reported that there's not uh, there's no inclination to trade for Chris Paul with Milwaukee. But yeah, that's interesting. There there isn't really one particular favorite, but you know they're gonna they're gonna try to trade him, and just what that deal is gonna look like is, is gonna be fascinating. Um, all right, thanks so much for joining us. Um, and we are taking next week off unless something absolutely completely crazy happens. Uh, but then we'll be back pretty much through the end of the year on the same time on Thursdays. Thanks for joining us on Twitch as well. Thanks for subscribing using Amazon Prime. You can read John at The Athletic and also listen to more of me at Dunked on Prime. Links to that in the show notes. So thanks again, and we will talk to you all next time. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.